We're going to um, have a look at the Word this morning. And um, we have um, just a couple of scriptures and some of them might, you might, um, yeah, one of them we were just in recently in our, um, in our services. So we're going to have them up on the screen. If you've got your Bible with you, I do encourage you to, to have your Bible open. It is easy to look on the screen, but it's hard to highlight on the screen. Um, it kind of messes your TV screen or your computer screen up. So have a Bible so that you can highlight or a phone or an iPad that you can highlight what you're looking at this morning. And the first scripture I want to read with us this morning is just a short section out of Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 verses 3 to 8. Have a look at that with me. This is Paul speaking. For, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion of our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You may remember we read that scripture a little while ago when we were talking about the church. And I want you to jump over to Ephesians, and we're going to read just uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, the first seven verses there, which also talks about the body of Christ. Again, this is Paul talking uh, about the body of Christ and how the body of Christ works. I therefore, verse 1 of chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness. With patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift, so far. I want to begin by just saying thanks to Shane for last week. I, you know, if you were um, watching uh, and joining us last week, you would have heard Shane share on Psalm 46, and it was such an encouraging thing. Um, I don't know about you, but Shane challenged us as in life groups or to find a context or in families to find a context to. To, to look at what God had done. And we were able to do that in our staff meeting this week and also in the life group that I lead. And it truly was a, an encouraging thing to do. And again, Shane, I want to thank you for um, giving us perspective, confidence and hope and sharing that with us as a community together. Um, we're certainly blessed by that. This year we've spoken on the first letter of Peter. Uh, and we, we, we've looked at the church. We've had kind of a bit of a focus on the, the church um, <clears throat> in the last few months particularly. We looked at First Peter and we had a look at how the church responded there. And um, 
Recently, we just looked at the three G's, if you like, of, of being a partner in One Hope Community Church. And they are, you know, that we, we grow and we give and we go, you know, the three G's. And, and what that looked like, particularly in One Hope. And recently, and over the past few years, the church, One Hope, has grown with, um, with new people. And that's been great. You know, I think that Shane gave us the stats last week that over the last five years we've had 38 people join the church. And that's fantastic. But you could ask the question, why our church? Why or why a reformed church? Why a, a reformed church? Because we are a reformed church. Why decide that this is the church that they wanted to be a part of, or that you want to be a part of, or that I want to be a part of? Why would you choose that? Why would you feel comfortable here? Well, and you know, I was thinking a little bit about One Hope Community Church, and there are lots of normal and contextual reasons you might want to be part of One Hope Community Church. Could be location. You know, it might be easy to you know jump out of bed, jump in the shower, and get across the road if you live really closely, and a few people do. I'm not suggesting that's why they are. It could be family. It could be family connections. It, it could be just that it's family oriented and it's a very welcoming church. It could be that it's a multi-generational church. It could be that it's a very encouraging community to be a part of. It might just be the way we do things, the way that we celebrate and more. And, and all those things are valid and good. And they weren't, by the way, an advertisement for um, One Hope Community Church. But then there are reasons like uh, teaching, the way teaching is done, uh, the way worship is done, um, that it's word focused, that the church is focused on the word and that it's Christ centered um, and that our message, is, our, our message is cross focused. It could be the covenantal confessional theology or, or, or the convictions that are held by this church. You see, that first list that I gave you are kind of like family traits, aren't they? They're kind of like, you know, personality, if you like, family, family personality, you know, one hope uniqueness, the unique around those sorts of things. And we like it and it resonates and, and that's okay. But the second list is also very true of one hope, isn't it? But that second list comes from a broader context. It comes from a wider perspective than just the local church and just one hope. Those things... The word, covenant, confession, um, cross-focused. Those things are understandings, truths and expressions and values that we hold to. That we believe reveal God to us. We believe that they reveal His nature to us, His love and His relationship with us. They help us to see ourselves rightly as well as our place and our purpose in the world. They help us to understand the wonder of salvation, how awesome it is, and how astonishing it would be that, that, that a God would reach out to us in salvation. And so they have an impact on the way that we worship as a body, the way that we communicate, the way that we work together as a body in all aspects. Think things like music, services, teaching, discipleship, and outreaches, mission, and all that sort of stuff. The understandings that we have, the way that we see God works with us, the way that we see that God um, claims us, the way that we see His work in salvation, those things translate to the way that we do things. 
Now, churches and Christians that have had the same convictions, all very similar, it's never 100%. Churches that have the same conviction have formed and they do form what we call denominations. <clears throat> Larger groups of churches that each identify and own that same theological or, or practice-based convictions that might have been long ago that they had those, and they form a denomination. The reason I'm talking about this, I get asked from time to time, what is a denomination and why? What does our denomination stand for and why? How do we interpret some things and, and why would we have denominations? Why do they exist? What's, what's different about ours? What do we believe and, and why do we believe it? What are the unique things? Do we have distinct theological beliefs or, or do we have distinct practices in our denomination? And are, are they all good? Are they all right? Are they better? All those are really great questions and I get asked them from time to time and quite a few times. And particularly as we, as we grow as a church, we recognise that people are coming from all different walks, demographics and generations of life. And some of the things that I, being an older person, might understand as just being normal aren't necessarily so. Now I want to say at the outset, I'm not certainly not the most qualified to speak on this. But I do believe that we discover, and we will discover as we move on in these new, next few weeks, some beautiful things about God. Some wonderful things about salvation, wonderful things about God's people and God's interaction with his people, us. And wonderful things about ourselves. And these are revealed in those unique things that God has led us to hold dear. But importantly, and I do need to say this, because there is a downside of denominations. Denominations are filled with humans. Humans are filled with sin and pride and being right. So being part of a denomination or being part of a particular realm of thought, if you like even, doesn't make us better. It's not a measurement of spiritual maturity. It's not a measurement of being more enlightened or, or smarter or more intelligent. In fact, there's a danger of pride or comparison and that's sin. You know, in our Romans reading, the first part of Romans, he, said, he, he, challenges, um, he challenges us through these words, you know, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but we think with sober judgment. We remain part of the wider body of Christ. And as such, we are humbly submitted to God and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. In the next season, I want to spend some time helping us to see, helping us to unpack and hopefully understand better some of those distinctives that we in our church and in the Reformed Church, profess and practice some theological distinctives and maybe even just some practice-based distinctives. But like all distinctives, ones that might be expressed as we express them out, or we hold them and, and practice them, some are truths, some are deep convictions that we hold about God's interaction with us, some are biblical imperatives that we, we understand, and then some are practices that are an application of our interpretation. And from time to time, perhaps some of those, some of those practices and some of those interpretations 
might need to be tested and have been. But in general it would be true to say that in most denominations theology and conviction leads to practice and I think you would see that everywhere. My prayer is that although there's a lot of information when you start talking about this, when you start looking into this, my prayer is that we would experience transformation as we walk in and around these topics. That we'd see a bigger, richer and more loving God. That our wonder and our awe of God would be greater because we understand that salvation that, that mission <clears throat> and that our passion for the gospel would become a greater urge in each of us because we understand God and his word. That we wouldn't just receive information that satisfies our questions and our thirst for understanding, but we'd be transformed by the supernatural presence of God. And that supernatural presence of God is resident in understanding and truth. And as an introduction, I want to start today by looking at denominations, and that might be uh, obvious. And today will be quite practical again, like our last three services. But then as we go forward, we want to look at specifically why reformed. What, what does that mean? What, what does it what does it look like? Our Reformed denomination and its distinctives. Its firmly held theological convictions and its practices that had come from those convictions. And we won't be able to do really deep dives in a sermon. So I do want to encourage you to do some reading. If this is an area that, that you want to know more about, do some reading. If you'd like to understand more deeply some of the history and if you want to understand and see how sometimes man, us, haven't always got it right. But I think before we embark on the distinctives themselves, and before we look at some of those deeply held convictions, some of those ways that we operate, we need to understand what and why denominations even exist. Whether they actually matter. And whether they're okay with God. Are they okay? And this is becoming, like I said before, this is becoming the more and more asked question. I'm having more people ask me, are denominations okay? Is God okay with that? Is, that? is it really kosher? Is it okay? Perhaps years ago we didn't talk about it so much. Or maybe we did talk about it. We, we delineated or, or set the lines a little stronger. But today it confuses many new and young Christians whole concept of denominations. And I began to think about why. Why might that be? And I think if we look at across um, church history, in, in recent church history, in say the last 10 to 15 years, maybe, 10 to 20 years, the criteria of church has shifted, hasn't it? Churches are, are, um, churches are chosen more on preferences and perhaps on those family traits that I talked about earlier, more on preferences or, or location or, or you know, the way that they do things or the people that go there. And perhaps 20 years ago it was much more a choice around theological convictions and understandings or belief structures and not so much nowadays. And so 
the newer and younger Christians, the question is, why would there be denominations? Why would you not just go to a church that kind of fits, you know, you like it there, or your friends go there, or what is important about that? And then hopefully we'll begin to see some of those things. Not that going to a church because family and some of those things isn't a good thing. So how do I understand denominations? There are so many of them. I started Googling how many denominations there are, and there was way too many. Some I'd never even heard of. Some are way different than us, and some can be quite similar. Here's a way that I might explain it. This is not a perfect analogy, but hear me out. Um, indulge me a little bit. Imagine I'd like to play soccer. Now, those of you watching that know me would know that I wouldn't be very good at it. But imagine, just you're going to need to use your imagination. I'd like to play soccer. I really like the game. I like the fact that there's teamwork, strategy, there's a discipline in it. Um, there's a respect in playing in a team and working under leadership. You know, the, the goal, I get that, those, that white thing, you've got to get the ball through there as many times as possible. And the more times you get it through, the better than the other team. I get the whole idea of a ladder and of a competition and of winning. I love the camaraderie that comes with soccer, you know, the skills developed and all that sort of stuff. So imagine that's, that's what I see. That's why I want to play soccer. So I look for a club. There are lots of potential clubs I could join. They all have the things above. All of those soccer ones, they have that. They have the, that white goal. They have the discipline, the strategy, the skills, the camaraderie, the competition. They all have that. But then I stumble on this club, Knox Church's Soccer Club. They have all of those things as well. But they also have a few other things that I resonate with personally. Because I believe that even in sport, I'm to glorify God. And there's a few things, if all of life's about God, and there's a few things that they do or add that express that value, that, that resonate with me, that express that same belief and more. They pray before a game. I like that. If in my passion on the, on, the, on the pitch I let a few choice words escape my mouth that, let's say, are less than edifying, I get penalised. I get a card, it's yellow or it's red, depending on, on how um, unedifying those words are. I see what is a much stronger value of respect for authority to the referees, to the presidents of the club and, and to other people. And the club itself talks of and it witnesses of and gives glory to God for the good things it experiences, as well as being ready to ask God for help when it's needed. See, this club plays soccer and I want to play soccer, but it has a few distinctives that align with my convictions and beliefs. So I choose to commit here. I pay my subscription, I sign up for the season, and with that comes submission to the leadership, to the coach, to the club committee. If the coach says that you can't play this week, I can't play this week, I submit to that. But Knox Church's soccer club is just a local club. What if our president goes rogue and he steals all the funds or he, he does something? Well, thankfully, there is an organisation called the VCFA, the Victorian Churches Football Association, which holds to those same values and guards them. The club itself comes under the authority of the VCFA and is accountable to the broader denomination, let's say. But it also receives benefits from it 
It receives encouragement from the VCFA. The, the referees come from there. The organisation of referees, the tribunals to, to take care of naughty players all happens there. But Knox Church has the freedom to express itself in a way that reflects its own context in the area that it is. The families that are there. The influ- and they can influence that. I have no issues with those other soccer clubs in my area. And they play the same game with the same goals, the same shape, pitch, the same rules, team, structure, ball shape. They're so similar that I could play with them. And, and sometimes we do. We're very similar and I have much in common with them. And they have their association that they're joined with as well. And then, there's a few other games with wobbly shaped balls, also loosely called football. This is probably going to get me into trouble. That whilst they do have a ball, and they have teams, and the idea is to get the ball into the goal, albeit a more luck than strategy because it's a way wider goal, and it's much easier. Anyone else have that verse in Matthew? Narrow is the gate that leads to life, and a wide is the gate that leads to destruction. I told you this might be getting me into trouble. But then even those games have some similarities, don't they? Although it's harder to play our game with them because the shape of the field's different, and there's so many things different, there might be times and places, i.e. promoting sport, promoting well-being in sport, that we would work together with them that we could get alongside them. I think you're getting the picture a little bit, aren't you, with my analogy? What about us? What about One Hope? Where or how do we fit in this whole denomination thing? Firstly, and importantly, we're a Bible-believing church that, along with so many other churches, holds on to the five solas. Some of you might remember Joel and I, a couple of years ago, preached on the five solas. Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, and to the glory of God. So we are a Bible-believing church, part of the wider body of Christ that holds firm to those things. We share this with many. But One Hope Community Church is also part of the Christian Reformed Churches of Australia. Together with others, we share an identity, and among other things, we share the way we understand God's Word, how it works out in our lives, how we relate to God and He relates to us, how we understand salvation in worship, the way that we as individuals glorify God with our lives, the way churches express that in practice and unity and and so much more. But just like that example I gave you, we're part of something broader. It's also practical. We're supported by... A denomination. We're encouraged by the wider denomination. We receive training in leadership and, and pastors and preaching and youth and, and children and, and child safe and all of those things. There are valuable relationships across the denomination. Growth opportunities, outreach initiatives, resourcing. And it provides accountability. There are no mavericks or one-man shows. You know, we can't have a pastor or a leadership of a, a local church go rogue. The Bible is really clear on accountability. And that's an important aspect of a denomination, an important part of why a denomination is important. Think of the Council of Jerusalem. You know, do you remember the story in the Bible, in, in the Council of Jerusalem, where they came and had to discuss something because they felt like perhaps someone was going rogue or doing the wrong thing and it had to be talked about at that level. Tim Keller, 
when speaking of denominations, said this, But I think that, in general, local churches should be accountable to a broader body of elders than just those within the congregation. The broader body can bring perspective that's often impossible for leaders embroiled in a conflict or a problem with a church. And so there's accountability, there's that, that the ability to be able to seek counsel, to be able to work through things on a broader level. In the denomination that we're a part of, we gather a few times a year with reps from each local church to share what's happening, how we're going, any needs we might have, any things that need to be discussed or ways that we might be able to help each other. We respect the guidelines and values that are expressed and held by the denomination. We're encouraged to practice them in a way that, that grows the community and influences the context that we are in as a local church. We're part of a denomination, but we're still in a local context and we're encouraged to express the things that we believe and to influence our community with that. Being part of a denomination isn't legalistic. It provides us with guidelines and we might all look a little different, even though we're all part of the Reformed churches or the Christian Reformed churches. We all might have different gifts or different ways and that's that second part of that Romans 12 uh, where it talks about all the different gifts. We have relationships with other denominations that hold similar beliefs and values. And so we might connect more closely with them. Some whose beliefs and practices might be less similar. And so our connection might be less. However, we are not the arbiter of who's better or more right or whatever. And yeah, this is really important to understand. When I talk to people about denominations, when I talk to young people or people that haven't been around churches that long about denominations. This is the feeling that comes out and perhaps that's been exuded by churches, this right or better. And maybe this is something that hasn't helped gospel, gospel unity at times. Even if we're kidding, we all know the jokes about going to heaven. We all know about the jokes about you know, different denominations going to heaven and I don't think I'll repeat them here. So then a denomination is a good thing? Is God happy about it? That's the other question I get asked. Doesn't he see that as a failure of people to work together? Why can't we all just be one and agree? Don't people sometimes fight over these differences? Well, sadly, yeah, they do. Doesn't that make God look bad or disappoint him? Doesn't this just help the world to say, see... Look at those churches. Even churches can't agree on stuff. And sadly, that's also true. History gives us plenty of examples of that. So why don't we just have one big organisation called Church or Christians and work together? Doesn't the Bible call us to unity? It does. And, you know, to be truthful, it can be hard to defend denominations from Scripture. Really interesting, if I want to talk about denominations and to find a scripture, it can be hard to defend that from scripture, except to say that scripture is full of a recognition of human diversity, cultural understandings, cultural exposure, and it's something that God acknowledges. And more than that, he even uses it for his glory. Charles Spurgeon would at times bemoan the divisions in the churches 
But then he also recognized how God could redeem them and use them. And he said this. He said, I believe that after all, there is more truth in this world now with all the apparent divisions of Christians by 10 times than there would have been if we had been united in a nominal union into one great church. So whilst he bemoans the divisions in the church, he recognises that God, in his infinite wisdom, in his power, has actually used that diversity and used those divisions, if you like, to bring the gospel to even greater places. <clears throat> we recognise that we share many, many, if not most of the beliefs and values of the wider evangelical church. And in many ways we can and should work and serve alongside them. In fact, we're called to do that. But just like my, uh, my soccer example, there are a few beliefs and values that resonate with us that might give us a deeper sense of understanding or a deeper sense of our purpose with God, our, of salvation, of the world <clears throat> and others, and we would call them distinctives. But doesn't this mess with Paul's call in Ephesians for unity just a little bit? And we read that in Ephesians about being unified. Well, unity is not the same as uniformity. I think this is important as well. Richard Lintz of the Gospel Coalition on Church Unity. He wrote an article on church unity. And he said the most frequent metaphor of Christ's relationship to the church and of God's relationship to the people of God is that of marriage. God often uses that to talk about Jesus and the bride. And the two and one dynamic at the heart of marriage is in some sense a conceptual analogy to the way in which the church is united to Christ. The two become one, like in any marriage, but the two do not become identical. They remain different, even as they're united. So the church is to be one and many. At the same time, united by the gospel and living out this gospel across many cultures, many understandings, many languages, many kinds of music and many different gifted individuals. Again, that's that second part of that Romans reading, isn't it? There's many different expressions and gifts. And then we also have the, the influence of different cultures or contexts or pressing needs in certain times. You know, the Reformation itself, the whole, the Calvin, uh, where Calvinism actually got, was, was actually s cemented in, was, 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 came out of a pressing time, an urgent time in history. More than just a theory, a set of theories where someone sat away and thought about this sort of stuff. But we're going to be looking at that, and there'll be a little bit more on that next week, perhaps. So, denominations, the church is a reflection of diversity. People are not all created the same by God. They don't all see the world the same way. They don't all laugh at the same jokes or cry at the same movies, moved by the same views. Some love oceans. I love being near an ocean and watching the waves roll in. And others love being in the forest and looking at the trees. We aren't moved by the same worship songs or touched by the same stories or learn and grow in the same ways, not the same cognitive styles. Preference isn't sinful, except when it's exerted over someone else as law. So far, this is really informative. But how do we 
with our different denominations, with our different expressions and motivations, how do we reflect the glory of God? Because diversity means that we aren't all the same. But the Bible shows us that God is. We may not be all the same. We may not see things completely or see everything the same way. But the Bible says that God is. God always is. We can't be and we aren't all things to all people, but God can and he is. Each of us can only reflect some of the different characters of God. Each of us can only meet some of the different needs. We have different passions and expressions, different calls and gifts. And our understanding of the scripture helps us to express them. But above all, we're called to humbly reflect Christ in our service to him. With the conviction of and from the Holy Spirit that we've been given. And the key word there is we are to humbly reflect the things that God has given us and shown us into the world around us. God is perfect. He is not broken. But we are. Churches are. Our world is. And so it follows that our understandings and our expressions and our actions can also be broken. That's why humility is so, so important. That's why surrender to God, above all, is so, so important. In all of our understanding, in all of our actions, and all of those things that matter to us. We live on the broken side of glory. But heaven isn't broken. Heaven is complete. There's already complete unity in heaven between God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Heaven is not broken. And we will enter that unity. We will be part of that wholeness. And so when it comes to denominations, we have to confess that sin plays a role sometimes. Broken relationships do. However, even then it's important to recognise that that doesn't and mustn't stop the gospel. You know, some divisions can sometimes be more a style, a, a matter of style or emphasis than even doctrine. We have an example in Paul's disagreement. Don't we, when Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 15 disagreed over Mark, John Mark's usefulness? I often wonder myself, how do you tell if someone's going to be useful to the mission? That sounds like a pretty hard way to say like we might just get rid of them because they're not very useful to my mission. When Paul and Barnabas disagreed over John Mark's usefulness, Paul chose Silas for his next journey. But all four of them continued in fruitful ministry, didn't they? They each held their convictions and they separated and kept the ministry going, accepting different views and understanding. But the gospel went forth. Salvation itself is a testimony. Let me say that again. Salvation itself is a testimony of reaching across divides. God reached across the divide of sinful humanity, across the divide, the separation from us, and spanned the divide of differences, spans the divide of denominations and more. And this makes salvation all the more amazing. 
That isn't limited. It isn't limited to human understanding. It isn't limited to the denominations or how understanding or our own convictions. That salvation trumps all of that. God reached across a divide and rescued every one of us. Salvation isn't hampered by our human understandings, our human interpretation, interpretations. God in Christ saved us despite, in spite of our division. And that division was first and foremost with him. God reached across that divide. And then we reached across to and then we reach across to each other. And that's our message to each other and the world first, before we get into the nitty-gritty of what we believe in our distinctives. Our first message is that there is a God who reached across the divide of separation and rescued us himself. We might hold on to our convictions, and we must, but we're to make every effort, as Paul says in Ephesians and another place, to live, to work, and serve in unity and create peace. So some might say that denominations are just the result of brokenness of man, and they might be right. But then our brokenness is no secret, is it? Not to us. It's true in many ways. But we have something for that. We have someone for that. Our brokenness is not a secret, but we have someone for that, Jesus Christ. And we find, we must, we find our salvation at the foot of the cross, not in our denomination. And that's really important to understand. And ultimately, that's what we hold most dear, isn't it? God's saving work. Only he can take that brokenness and heal it. And then allow it to be used for his glory. Allow it to, to, to shout of him to the world in many and unique ways. He can even use our differences to reach more people. Remember that Spurgeon quote? So back to the start. Why this denomination? Why the Christian Reformed Churches? Why One Hope? Not because we're better. But it's where God's led us. It's where God's showed us that we can glorify him with our understanding. And isn't that what the Bible says is the chief end of man? Don't we say that it's to glorify God? There are some wonderful biblical imperatives that I believe reveal the character of God. I believe they reveal his intention for humanity, his love and his work for our salvation. And I think, I believe that they're reflected in the way that we understand some of our reformed unique distinctives, if you like. Our theology and our practice. And it will be good to be reminded of them if they've been around for a long time and it might be good to be introduced to them. Not just to defend them, rather to show how they reveal God, how they reveal His character and love in greater ways. And how they impact the way that we live, the way that I live. So next week we want to begin to look at some of those unique theological convictions. We'll look at things like, what does it mean to be a Calvinist church? What, what do we understand? What does the scripture say to us? What are some of the, the parts of scripture that are open to us about who God is? Why is that? Why? Look at some history. And maybe some of you will know this. We'll start looking at things like tulip. Some of you might remember what that is. And if you don't, look it up and understand what are some of the things that make us unique. But mostly, what are those things that bring glory to God, that bring salvation to people, 
and to see his kingdom come here on earth. Ultimately, that's why One Hope exists. That's what God's called us to do. We do it here in the community. We do it amongst each other. We do it in the world. And we do it because God called us to do that for his glory. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that you know us so well. And sometimes that leads us to, um, to gather together. You know so well, you know the differences that, that are in us, and yet that, that enables us, that, draw, that draws us together with other people. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us that. We thank you, Lord, for our church communities. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that we understand that your word calls us first and foremost to bring glory to you. To acknowledge the saving work of the cross in our lives. To acknowledge that we needed it. To acknowledge that we're broken people. But then to move forward and to bring that message of hope to the rest of the world. Lord, we just recognise that um, we're made differently. We recognise that you've made us with so many different personalities different ways that we understand things. You've grown us up in different cultures that have had different influences on us. And God, in your mercy, you've allowed us to express them in our walk with you. And we thank you for that. Lord, we pray for your church worldwide. We pray for those that are part of our denomination, those that aren't. And Lord, we pray mostly for those that see you as Lord and King. And we stand together with them and declare that you are. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand more deeply how to live out the things that you say in your word, the ways that you've taught us to live, the way that you want to live with us, how to live that more deeply, how to express that more to the world around us. Equip us as a church to do that. Equip us as individuals to do that. In Jesus' name.